folks. Welcome back to what is the Connecting Construction podcast for episode 13. It has been a couple of months since we last saw you. I hope uh, everyone has enjoyed their summer break, has been staying healthy, um, safe, and hopefully getting a little bit of sunshine. I know down here in Phoenix, Arizona, we have definitely had quite the summer. Uh, but today, I'm super, super excited to bring on a really intelligent guest, frankly, one of what who, who I would honestly claim to be one of the forward thinkers in uh, the construction um, leadership space. Uh, Rishi Manabi is uh, somebody who has been doing a ton of work publicly with eBuilder recently in the past. You may have seen him on a webinar or two. Um, Rishi, first of all, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much today for uh, being willing to come on and have a conversation with us. Um, your title is Associate Director of Capital Planning and Program Controls at Gilead Sciences. I believe you're in Fremont. Is that right? Um, I'm based out of Foster City. In okay, perfect. Um, well, hey, like I said, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I gave you know the audience your title just now. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Evan, for <laughs> for those kind words, and uh, you know, really happy and glad to be uh, contributing uh, towards this podcast. You know, just before we begin, I just have have a few disclaimers to say that you know, um, uh, I am giving this pod podcast voluntarily. Uh, you know, uh, eBuilder or any other party has not paid me in any any shape or form to participate in this podcast so just wanted to give that disclaimer but thanks evan um and um really looking forward for a great discussion here yeah no we appreciate it so why don't you give the audience a little bit more background on yourself your role at gilead sciences and your career sure so uh, at Gilead Sciences, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have heard of Gilead. We are one of the uh, leading biotechnology firms in uh, in the United States, uh, based out of Foster City, California. Uh, we recently had some major successes in in terms of our, um, you know, drugs to treat COVID-19 patients that are severe. Um, and, and within Gilead, um, I'm a part of our corporate engineering and facilities group leading the capital planning and program controls function. Um, you know, like, like a lot of clients or a lot of owners out there, um, we do uh, engage in, in construction activity. We do our building our assets or developing our existing assets uh, to meet our business's requirements. And, um, you know, primarily, Within corporate engineering and facilities, we have an ecosystem of um, you know, smart individuals who are trying to deliver capital projects and also um, do a lot of long range uh, capital planning. Uh, so we are proactive in um, meeting the infrastructure needs for our businesses and ultimately um, you know, do the best to um, get, get the patients, uh, get the drugs out to the patients as, as fast as possible. So that's in a nutshell, you know, uh, what my group does. It, it, like I said, it's an ecosystem of a lot of excellent individuals who are contributing to the same cause. That's great. Well, I, I'm excited about today's con you know, conversation around this concept of anticipated cost theory. And if mm -hmm. you've been following any of eBuilder's social channels over the past few months, 
you've probably seen this topic come up once or twice. You know, it's an interesting time right now um, in the construction industry, particularly because, and I guess I'll even rewind further than that. Um, before I started working in construction and really the context space, um, when I heard the word construction, the mm -hmm. word or phrase that always came to mind for me were cost overruns or, <laughs> you know, construction projects that never end. Um, I grew up in, in Seattle, Rishi. I don't know if you know that about me. And uh, the joke we would always make is Seattle is the city that is always under construction and always um, really bursting budgets uh, financially. So I, 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 the reason I bring that up is because we're in an interesting time right now. Right. Uh, there's a huge infrastructure bill that is, that is coming down the pipe. Um, through Congress, I believe just passed the Senate a couple, two, three weeks ago before they took their August recess break. Um, it's now sitting in the House as uh, as uh, Democrats try to figure out how to make this way or you know pass this bill through Congress. I think they have just a slim three vote three vote margin over the Republicans. Um, right. Going to be a lot of the reason I'm bringing all this up is because there's going to bring a lot of, and I promise I'm going to close the loop on this. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs around infrastructure spending. You know, yep. you see a one, I think it's one one point two trillion dollar, um, you know, bills like exclusively allocating funding towards infrastructure spending. No matter you know the political you know side of the aisle that you're on, I think everybody can agree that we want our tax dollars to be allocated and spent wisely, efficiently, and ultimately maximized, you know, uh, in terms of their return on investment. So I, I, right. think, I think bridging that sort of current context to uh, infrastructure in our country today, to the mm -hmm. concept of anticipated cost theory is uh, something fun that we can dive into. So that's a little bit of the context I'm coming from. Uh, right. But for somebody who might be newer to the industry, Rishi, can you, I know it's a little bit self-explanatory, the concept of anticipated cost theory, but to right. some, it may not be. Um, could you just break down the term for us in super simple terminology? Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, if you look at any construction undertaking that has to happen, right, it's never, never a few millions it's always millions and billions right so you all we all know that there's a lot at stake and and this is where the anticipated cost theory comes into it, it comes into play and i think it's one of the most important theories that everybody needs to focus on you know before embarking on the project you know and 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 the word itself is self explanatory i say you know anticipated cost theory like what is the methodology that you your organizations or your teams are using to anticipate what your final cost on the project is going to be or your program is going to be like uh, so if you're under, uh, undertaking a huge capital improvement program um, and this is very typical to a lot of cities and you know counties as well as you know a lot of the government departments that are undertaking capital improvement projects right from caltrans here in california uh, to uh, you know department of energy um department of defense you know there's so much of capital and this infrastructure bill that's going to be passed it's going to bring in a lot of that capital 
Now, to Evan's point, how can someone really understand or get the best rate of return on the investment? And my, based on my experience, you know, I've worked in public agencies. I have consulted around uh, private and public agencies in my days of consulting before I joined the pharma industry. It all starts with a planning framework. Right. It, it's it's very important that you you have your plans or your planning uh, aspect of identifying what you really want, you know, and, and it may start with a vague idea. But I think there has to be a lot of upfront planning effort that needs to go in on any program or any project um, as to alternatives that. Um, somebody is going to go um, against like, you know, we have a lot of examples here at at Gilead that we go through a lot of options analysis and a lot of planning upfront to figure out what is it we, that we really want and really establishing those preliminary boundaries is important. And that needs a lot of people coordination, Evan. Um, I mean, we can get to the cost because cost is really monetizing, you know, the boundaries that you have established. But a lot of times, um, if somebody's new to this, you got to understand that you have to ask all the stakeholders, what is it that they exactly want from this particular undertaking of a project or a program? So my, my, my first step is, is really a robust plan, you know, a robust communication plan, a robust scope definition that needs to go on a project or a program and then you put numbers to it. And that gets into the estimating methodology, which is pretty complex. And, and it's different for different organizations. There's no one size fits all, you know. And I think, I think those are the key starting points towards your anticipated cost theory. And once you establish those boundaries, I think that the, the next part is managing the scope and identifying the changes. So as you identified the, your initial boundaries, now you have to also identify how change is driving your project or program and be able to monetize those aspects early on to get to your final anticipated cost. Does that give a like an overarching picture, not a generalized overarching picture? Yeah, no, that's, that's super, super helpful, I guess. The question that immediately comes to mind for me is, practically speaking, when you're working on you know, a project, what does it look like to approach a project with this anticipated cost theory in mind? What, what does it look like, practically speaking, from a planning perspective, an execution perspective, coordination perspective? Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So, um, you know, Cost is something that, you know, we do have a consideration, but it's not the driving considerations because it's going to take you a certain amount of dollars, a certain amount of capital to do it. I think what's important for us is really identifying the need. You know, it's extracting from our business owners uh, what is it that they want and how we as construction experts or engineering experts be able to help them get to the next building or a next renovation project or the next manufacturing site. And we depend 
heavily and and even in my past employ uh, employers we depend we depended a lot on data i think a data gives you a lot of uh, different perspectives and that goes back to the benchmarking data as well as capacity data as well as production data and 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 really trying to understand upfront what is going to be your demand right in order to provide a supply and i think identifying the demand is very key for a project you know this this so many examples i can give you right from a, a research lab project or a you know a data center um you know that you you have to identify what's going to be your capacity uh, that you are going to run in a data center or even the capacity or the number of experiments you're going to run in a research lab i think boiling down to that level of detail will definitely give you a great starting point and as you uh, start modulating uh, you know granulating them or modularizing those those models you will be able to scale them as well and then like i said you know benchmarking is important so you can apply a cost to those modules so uh, from a project perspective that's exactly you know again it goes back to that planning aspect very specific to a certain project of are you talk are you talking to the right people are you trying to assess your uh, demand correctly in order to uh, identify what your supply is going to be so from uh does that, does that answer your question though no it definitely does there's just a lot to unpack there i think from um from a benefits perspective what uh -huh. does what does approaching a project with with this theory in mind entail what what sorts of return it may it may sound obvious like you know saving money saving time but from your perspective what are the benefits of anticipated cost i think it's uh the benefit to this is um i would say optimization you know optimization of your capital with an anticipated cost theory in mind you are applying um you know this theory to all the different alternatives that you have identified as a team in your planning effort and i think i think it's at the end you're comparing these options as to how much it's going to take us to get this asset you know asset in place or this building in place or whatever you want to you know call it depending on the industry you know if you don't have that anticipated cost theory in mind all the options are going to look pretty much same similar to you there's going to be no differentiating factor because some of it's going to cost you huge but you're going to get it early some it's going to cost you a lot lot less because you're doing less scope so on and so forth so i think it's absolutely important to always think ahead of how much it's going to cost you and for companies like us you know or, or many companies like gilead you know who are public it's important how we spend our capital because um it's it directly um directly uh, affects the shareholder value as well as our earnings per share so it's it's pretty it's pretty important and i think it's one of the things that all owners need to have a robust process around so let's circle back to the sort of infrastructure topic let's 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 role play for an example and say i'm early in my career i'm a project manager at say some transportation agency that's about to receive 
you know, potentially a sizable, um, you know, increase in funding due to this pending infrastructure bill. And anticipated cost theory is something I want to incorporate into, you know, some new project that I'm working on. What sorts of advice would you give to somebody who is looking to incorporate this theory into their project planning methods? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so if you are getting a, you know, a set funds. Hello, Evan, can you hear me? Yep, I'm still here. Sorry, my screen went blank. So no, you're um, good. So um, if you are getting a, you know, a funding, a funding source from, you know, any agency, I would really sit down um, with with the team of experts that you have, you know, if you're embarking on a road project, you need to have, you know, some sort of an early idea of what is it that you plan to do with these funds, either, you know, 20 roads, you know, six highways, you know, few, you know, bridges or overpasses. I think you still have to go on to define your early scope, right? And get, through your benchmarking information, put together a program, a program plan, I would say. And then each of those plan needs to have components broken down into executable projects. And each projects, depending on the nature of them, um, you have to assign certain, you know, certain of your anticipated costs, like how much is all these gonna cost you? So I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in my first company at Parsons Corporation, we had a similar situation where we were going through a, a major CIP, a capital improvement program, and we were getting funds, funding sources from 15 different agencies. And that was from the federal government, the state government, the um, some agency, there were donations and so on and so forth. And we had to really um, plan our 10-year plan so it was a long-range capital plan based on the based on the milestones we were going to receive these um you know funding sources so what we did was we basically did a obs you know organizational breakdown structure along with that we tied it to a work breakdown structure and of course i was a part of the project control scheme back then and we literally like an organization we had different uh, you know, buckets of budget that then if you tie to the anticipated cost theory, right, with 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 the cost, the anticipated cost for surface streets, anticipated cost for freeways, instead of anticipated uh, cost for 405. And this was in Southern California. And it was all broken down into, uh, you know, an, a, a great looking org or work breakdown structure would ultimately tied to each funding source. And it was all mapped out. And trust me, after then on, it was delivering, 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 and realizing how well we did with our anticipated cost. And of course, I didn't stay a whole longer on that program because I moved on to another company. But then we had robust processes along the way where we could um, you know, just have a check each time on each of our programs. So our reporting structures, our you know, cost reports, our change order logs, 
uh, everything was um, you know connected to this one big massive breakdown structure. That's so kind of you know um, uh, you know answer in relevance to your question about getting funds for a transportation job. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, that's fascinating. Uh, thanks for the thanks for coming on today. I love these like little short, bite-sized approaches to uh, podcasts where we can nerd out for 20, 30 minutes around really meaty topics that are that are coming up within the construction industry. So, Rishi, thanks again for uh, coming on on this bite-sized sort of little educational topic. And uh, I know you're a busy guy, so thanks for coming on. And uh, hey, if you're in the audience and you're listening and there's somebody that you want to listen to, learn from, and and take best practices away from, reach out to us. Reach out to the eBuilder team. Let us know, and we'll try to get them on the podcast. But Rishi, thank you so much for coming on episode 13. That was great. Thank you, Evan. Pleasure is mine. Take care. Right. Take care, Father. We'll see you next time.